Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Kim Barter. This is part two of our conversation around the evolution of shadow resolution. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I do recommend you do so to get yourself up to speed with some of the things we talk about today. And in that conversation in part one, we didn't really get into the evolution part of shadow resolution. There were so many juicy things in it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What are these stages that we can move through that really take us to the core of resolving shadow and how sometimes we mistake some of the earlier stages, which are still useful as being the resolution of them. So we'll talk about that journey. We'll talk about seven different modalities, different approaches to shadow resolution that we can bring. And as we do so, you'll hear there's quite a sophisticated map that emerges now around shadow work. So I'm really glad I spoke with Kim. So a few more words about Kim. Kim is an internationally recognized thought leader and speaker and psychotherapist who's developed new forms of highly effective and efficient uh, therapy, particularly around shadow resolution. He's worked with individuals and couples and youth at risk, severely mentally ill, people with chronic pain, mind-body healing, and advanced psychosocial spiritual development issues. So he's really got a broad experience and he's a go-to person for those seeking to clear up distortions at the latest researched levels of consciousness. And so with that all said, if you are listening to this and you're not on our mailing list and you want to join our community and stay in the loop about things that are not this podcast that we create for coaches and just see our other offerings, you can head to coachesrising.com and if you scroll down the homepage, you'll find a sign-up box. You can put your name in that and join our list. And with that being said, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Kim Barter. So, Kim, it's good to be with you again. We're going to do part two of our conversation. How are you today? I'm doing good, Joel. Thanks. It's great to be back, and it's great to see you again. Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying. I'm having fun already, so it's nice yeah. to check in a little bit. Um. Yeah, basically, my intention was to talk about the evolution of shadow resolution because there's something in our last conversation that we we mentioned, but we didn't get around to unpacking. I know you have some different stages of that, and so so I think we'll just we'll dive right into that. Oh, actually, let me before I do ask you that. So we ended our last conversation talking about I think we talked about IFS a little bit and parts work the different types of modalities one might use with the introjections, projections, and split ego states. And I wondered if you could just name, like, do you, what kind of modalities do you find yourself using a lot? Do you, do you pick up different, different approaches? Do you have your own that you've formulated? Yeah. So Joel, there's, there's, um, this is another kind of thing that I've worked on is if you take a look at all the therapeutic modalities out there, what kind of categories, what kind of categorizations can you put them into? And I kind of have seven, eight, depending upon how you look at it. And um, one of the advantages of categorizing them into, into clusters is, is you get to understand what the pure uh, form of each one is. And by getting to the pure form, you can see the extraneous elements that are involved in, in the various unique variations of it. And so there's really basically seven different types of modalities. 
And I use all of them. I'm, I'm, I definitely work with all of them. And it depends upon the person. Like, um, I think it's really important to understand to adapt. I adapt myself to the client rather than expecting the client to adapt to my modality. And different people respond to different things. Some people really respond to cognitive um, cognitive work, cognitive restructuring or cognitive lead. And some people really respond more to an emotional or affective lead. And still others tend to respond more to a behavioristic lead. So those are kind of the three big um, categories of, of classical uh, psychotherapy. But then from there we have, you know, well, relationship-based psychotherapy, which is it's all about building the relationship and how you build that. And then, um, and then, so those are that kind of constitutes kind of like actually I should say the big four of classical psychotherapy relationship uh, was kind of looked down upon for a while um, until they researched and like the behaviorists didn't like it, but then the behaviorists or, or they did research and they found out the relationship based psychotherapy did better than behaviorism anyway. And behaviorism was all the research people. And so they were like, ah, so we got to get relationship put into our behaviorism because it actually works as a behavioristic modality, you know, in air quotes, right? Behavioristic not really getting into the understanding that relationship is really, you know, about what humanity is about. We are social creatures and the way we build relationship and connect with each other has a huge impact upon healing. And it's not just behaviorism. I mean, there's a holistic, a whole consciousness connection dynamic that's going on with humanity when we connect with each other. And so relationship-based psychotherapy is, is really, really a crucial, important piece in any, any modality. And are these, these four you've named already, are they like part of the seven yes. modalities you named? So like cognitive, behavioral, emotional, and relational. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, from there, we get into some really unique ones that are uh, a little interesting. So uh, we have, for example, um, uh, symbolic-based psychotherapies. Um, Jung did this early on. He did a little bit like, and, and, and Freud did this a little bit early on with like symbolism of dream work. But it, that's very crude. And I, I, we've come a long way since Freud and Jung in terms of symbolic work, you know, so uh, uh and then we have somatic work, or I should say sensorial. A lot of people call it somatic, but I call it sensorial because it's all the senses are involved, not just somatics. And so that's another very important one. And then we have systems, which is a very, uh, it deals with the whole systemic dynamic that's going on. Uh, internal systems and external systems and how internal systems, like internal family systems that we talked about last time, how internal systems operate with external systems. If you wanna get the whole system dynamic going, we wanna look at how our internal systems operate and how they interact with external systems. And let's say we have two systems here. We have, uh, when we have two people, we actually have three systems, I should say. We have my internal system, and I'm talking with Joel, you, and you have your internal system. And then we have the interpersonal system that's going on how my internal system operates, and then I send information to you, your internal system processes it in whatever way your internal system processes it, and then you feed something back to me, and then that creates a third meta system. 
And then we take and look at that system in terms of culture, in terms of society, in terms of history, you know, so you end up with very large, complex understandings of systems. And that's a that's the the seventh modality. Beautiful. And imagine you can they all nestle together as well, you know, that absolutely. So so maybe uh, combining several of them in order to do deeper work with clients or. Yeah, like you said, picking up the one that's most pertinent to where you're at in any kind of healing work. Beautiful. And I, I imagine, because of course we could unpack each one of those. The symbolic I'm actually really, uh, really curious about, but I'll resist because I want to talk about the, the evolution of shadow resolution. And maybe maybe we might weave some of those modalities back in as we unpack unpack mm-hmm. that work. So, um yeah, so maybe we could like move through. I know you've got these different stages of, of, of shadow resolution and we could move through them and unpack how do you actually resolve shadow? You know, we talked about that a lot in our last conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could just quickly, you know, for people like name what shadow is just in a sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really recommend people go back and listen to our first conversation. And then let's just move through those stages and unpack them a bit. Yeah. All right. Sounds good, Joel. So shadow is um, any unconscious aspect of our, our being. Now, I think I said this in our last one, uh, Jung, uh, the unconscious, you know, Freud studied the unconscious and then Jung was Freud's student and, and Jung uh, renamed the unconscious, the shadow. And now there's a lot of debate people talk today about no shadows, just your personality traits that are hidden, that are dark and negative. But uh, um Young himself said that shadow is the unconscious. He he just gave it a new name. But in, in modern, you know, just how language shifts and, and definitions shift, the way that shadow has been used more often now is more that it's just the dark personality traits, the unknown personality traits that are that are guiding us out of our conscious awareness that are uh, tripping us up in a lot of different ways that make things not work for us so well. And uh, we can get all of a training in the world, like uh, you're a coach, right? And, and I'm a psychotherapist and we get all the training in the world to do these amazing things with people. But if we have our shadow operating, what'll happen is our shadow will come out and it will taint the therapeutic relationship, whether it be a coaching or a spiritual mentors or uh, psychotherapy, it will color it. And when I do my um, my uh, uh, coaching course, I, we train, well, not just coaches, coaches, mentors, psychotherapists. When, when I do my um, training course, what I do is I, I teach pure interviewing. What does it mean to have a pure interview with somebody? And everybody from PhD psychotherapists to mentors, to spiritual mentors, to coaches, projections all over their clients, you know, and it takes about six months to clear those projections up so that people can just do a clear interview and actually see the person in front of them instead of seeing their projection of the person in front of them. Just um, on that note, could you, could you like um, unpack that a bit more? Because are you then saying, for example, um, as a coach, I might have a bias towards depth and spacious presence. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, I like, I, I love that, you know, which I, which I do actually. So yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah so that works. But then I'm, but what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm like my preference towards that. I'm projecting onto my clients and I'm, I'm guiding them in that direction and, and I'm, I'm not seeing other things in them or, or valuing other things in them. Is that kind of thing what you mean? That's a great example. That's one, one class of example of what I mean. Yes. Yeah. So for example, you brought up depth and depth is a beautiful, we love depth, right? That's, you know, we thrive on that. That's the, it gets to our core authentic being and stuff, but we have depth, we have breadth and we have height. And so what happens if our client comes to us and they're, and, and they're actually asking for a breadth move, but we don't see it because we're so tunnel focused on depth. And so now we guide them into depth and depth isn't actually what they wanted. They were actually wanting a breadth move or maybe they're wanting a height move. They didn't even know what they were wanting because they might not even know about depth, breadth and height. But if you listen to their words, if you understand depth, breadth and height, you can go, oh, they're actually requesting what I'm hearing is they're requesting a, a breadth move or they're requesting something that would require height to accomplish. Um, or or depth, but if our bias is depth or our bias is height or our bias is breadth, you know we're not going to see those nuanced messages that our client is sending us, and we'll forge ahead with what our passion is versus what their passion is. Could you give us a tidbit of like, <clears throat> and, and, and in a way we could talk for hours about this probably, but how how we might begin to spot our projections as a coach, and I know you. You know, you probably, like you said, you need a six month journey at least to, yeah. but how might we be, what questions might we begin to ask to, to become curious about our projections on our clients? Well, what, what we do, what I do in my courses, um, I, I have them videotape themselves, their session. And then we actually listen to what the client said. And then we notice what the coach or the psychotherapist or the, the spiritual mentor did with what they said. And then we notice, hey, look, you know, there was some overlap for sure. There's almost always a little bit of overlap. That's what we hang on to. But notice which part you overlapped on. You overlapped on this sequence. So let's say a person says something like, um, I've been struggling with my coaching practice and I feel like I really need to um, understand how to um, uh, get the person to develop a little more uh, 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 new techniques with their business orientation. And I'm just feeling really frustrated with that. Hmm. Tell me about your frustration. Let's go into frustration. Well, now I just bias towards depth and their frustration versus what they actually asked for, which was developing new breadth techniques to work with their client. It's that mm -hmm. simple, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, just simple little things like that. The person actually is asking for a breadth move, but we picked up on the emotional frustration and we went into the frustration, which was a depth move, which I'm not saying is bad, but right. I'm saying it's not what they asked for. Because like, let me, um, some coaches might say, yeah, I actually, now this might be interesting what you think of this, but um, go deeper than the presenting issue. So, so rather than um, looking at, at like the, the, the things they're asking for, you know, with this breadth issue, like go into how are they being with that? What's it bringing up for them? Sure. This frustration piece. So, 
Yeah, the, the coaches might say, yeah, don't go with that presenting issue. Look deeper to see what's going on. Yes, and that's that's a that's a that's a depth bias, which is beautiful, right. by the way. I, I, we we love that, right? But the point is, is that you know who are we serving? Our need for our depth, or the client's need? Now, if if when I show what I actually teach is a natural ability, uh, what I teach is 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 flow in in a coaching session or a, a psychotherapy session, and if you actually go with the presenting issue and you use flow, uh, like uh, flow free of projection, it will go there quite quickly if that's what they're needing and wanting right? without Beautiful. projecting. Okay. Yeah. And if, they, if that's not really what they're needing and wanting, it won't go there. And there's a whole technique around how do you follow the flow and how do you follow a thread with that flow so that uh, you're not projecting, but you're still moving the client in the natural evolutionary path that they're headed on. And imagine flow might have um, um, a sense of requisite organicness mm-hmm. to it, yeah. So the, it's not are. an imposition of the coach yeah. of a direction, that mm-hmm. the, but it's actually like hands off, and then the, the the it's flowing where it wants to go, and then you're in the right place because that's where it's flowed yeah. to. Yeah, the people that come through the course actually say, gosh, I do less work and get more done. Um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it becomes almost like this effortless flow and, the, and actually so much more work gets done. So it's not really passive. It's, you know, I want to be really clear that it's not like you know, that passive orientation, but it, it, it is, it's very receptive. And so I want to separate out the difference between passive and receptive. And we're listening very deeply, which everybody feels like they do. But how do we listen deeply without our projections getting in the way? And then, and then there's a way to identify um, threads that the person is, is utilizing and then, and then following the flow of those threads in a way that without utilizing projection. And, and do you think there's a role in um, accessing presence in receptivity so so you know if i think about my own sense of the journey it's like as i'm you know i i i guess i wouldn't have framed it in terms of shadow work but i will in in this as i'm doing my own healing work my own developmental work and those ter- those terms are laid and what do we mean by them but i'm actually like you know i'm actually becoming more and more integrated over time so that i'm cleaning the screens of perception my sensitivity and and less and less um caught by projections and parts mm-hmm. and um therefore um there's a there, what 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 remains in its place yeah like there's a there's a there's a presence it's no longer the kind of tightly wound ego that that was there before that needs to be a good coach or whatever you know um and so this presence actually is more receptive it is it has an unconditionally loving presence that can welcome whatever's arising in the moment with a client which for me like activates a kind of organic unfolding flow basically i call it unfolding it's a natural unfolding to the conversation rather than rather than um imposing any kind of method or direction do you does that fit with you absolutely and that's really the core of relationship based um um relationship oriented uh work with people 
we we bring our we bring a very receptive presence to it but on, on top of that what you're saying is that not only do i really open up and receive with unconditional love but every every session that i have with somebody is a little bit of a learning for me in terms of letting go of ego in terms of seeing some shadow and working on it in terms of noticing what i get triggered what holds my perception and what what goes past my perception and that's what we're really talking about doing too. That I mean, that's the that's the healing, the co-healing journey between the um, the the mentor and the and the student or the client is is this uh, mutual healing that goes on as we grow. And I think if you're really good at what you do, whether you're a spiritual mentor or a, a coach or a psychotherapist, every session is a healing session for you too. It's it's all about that, you know, and um and hopefully we as mentors have you know a little bit one foot ahead you know in terms of being free of ego getting in the way being free of our projections or our uh, whatever getting in the way so that so that we're beneficial to our clients mm. yeah wonderful yeah um all right, I'm going to force myself because I can feel my uh, like this <laughs> I keep going all right let's talk about the evolution of shadow resolution so could you outline the stages of that and in particular well i think they're all really important but i think you make some really important distinctions and um, um points around um you know how can we actually begin to transmute shadow at its mm -hmm. at its root so yeah let's kind of talk about that and how it happens Okay, so good. It's starting out with unaware stage. We're just completely unaware of having any shadow or any issues. And we all have the unaware stage in us. There's parts of ourselves that we're just completely unaware of. So we start out with the unaware stage. And, and what we, what we want to do is, first of all, come with a lot of um, grace and humility that we all have the unaware stage. You know, even if we're the mentor, uh, we have unawareness in ourselves too. And if someone were to just pound into those unaware places that we're not ready for, um, we might not be ready for it. And that might have multiple implications. So uh, before we even actually start moving into, say, a depth move, which is going to bring up the unaware stage, we want to see if the person, well, first of all, if that's what they're wanting, but second of all, do they even have the resources to cope with that? Are they ready to handle that? Because when we start uncovering depth especially um, but it can happen with height too less often with breadth but it can happen with all three of them but most most often with depth what can happen is um, let's say we start moving into depth and all of a sudden that triggers like a trauma and now this trauma becomes present for the person and and that might be like a, a it might take them some time and resources to deal with that trauma. And then that trauma is in the middle of, right in the middle of them needing to maybe close a really important business deal. So now that business deal goes sour because I went into depth when they weren't ready, it brought up trauma and now their business deal goes south and I've just caused harm to my client. And so that's just an example. And so what we want to do is when we go into depth, go, what are the resources and, and what, what is it? This is where we look at systems, right? This is where we start starting to combine the modalities. I want to understand their external system. Are, are there crucial crunch points right now 
that would be really important for them not to be triggered in while they're doing it, right? Are they just ready to close a deal? Are they just about ready to get married? Are they, um, are they going through, a, you know, I don't know, you know, just understanding that external system that they're in. Um, and a lot of people do that. We talk about resources and th different things like that, but understanding that system. So the, when we explore the unaware, um, we wanna make sure the person's in a place where they're ready to, to explore that and actually uh, utilize all the power that can come from exploring the unaware stage. Anytime we uh, explore the unaware stage, we develop more depth of authenticity in our being. And so it's a beautiful actual stage. The fact that we all have unawareness means that we have a whole lot more richness to our lives than, than we are consciously aware of now. So it's actually a gift. It's like a, I call it a grab bag of treasures, right? So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's actually causing problems in our life. We might not even be aware of the problems that it's causing, but actually when we tap into it, it's a grab bag of gifts, of treasures. And when we go in there, we're gonna find a treasure if we do it right. Mm. Mm. So um, the unaware stage uh, um, is completely unaware and we wanna be uh, a little bit gentle with that. And, um, and so this is where that presence that you were talking about and just deep listening without like targeting too much, just that deep listening really uh, builds the relationship so that a person does open up more and then unconscious material starts arising. And that's where we come into that very receptive place. Cause if it's a tender unconscious, if we, if we move in with a little too much force, then that'll create resistance and oppositionalism. Right. Well, I imagine if you, if there's too much force, Somebody might not feel safe enough to, yeah. uh, you know, even if they're if they're even if they're unaware of what's there, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's an implicit sense of threat, yeah. you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a reason it's in our unconscious. We're not quite ready for it yet with our conscious mind, but we might be ready for it in a loving, caring container. We might be ready for it, and then that can rise to the front and just before you do you think many people actually don't even come into therapy or you know or um you know maybe people aren't coming into coaching for shadow work explicitly but shadow is playing out in coaching but do, yeah do you find that yeah actually a lot of therapy clients are coming in in the second stage because that's when they're more aware of there's something going on or yeah, yeah people usually don't come in in the unaware stage yeah. They usually come in in the symptom aware stage, which is next. Right. Because they're aware that something's bothering them in the symptom aware stage. And they want, and so what they want, what they usually do, what the, the, the orientation around symptom aware is I want to get rid of my symptoms, right? It's not that I want to grow into this deep whole human being. It's like this symptom is bothering me. It's, and I want to get rid of it. Can you, can you take that away from me? Right. Can you heal me? Um, so in the symptom aware, that's when people usually come in because they really, they, they, the symptom is bothering them, you know, you know, maybe I'm not landing clients good enough, or maybe I've got this cognitive dissonance in my mind, or I'm, I'm suffering emotionally. You know, I've got this, you know, I'm feeling guilt or I'm feeling shame or I'm feeling anger or feeling, um, you know, really depressed or really anxious. You know, these are emotional symptoms that people might come in with. 
Um, and then we might have behavioral symptoms, you know, just like physical illnesses and different things like that. They usually go to a medical doctor for that. Uh, not always. Sometimes they come in because they have enough awareness that many of my physical symptoms are actually psychologically induced. Um, today, more and more people are becoming aware of that. So they come in for their symptom. And, and the thing is, uh, when we're in symptom aware stage, what we consider healing is, is not feeling the symptom anymore. So if we take this to just as crude as we can be, say a headache, I have a headache, I'm in symptom aware. What's the solution? Yeah, paracetamol or whatever. Take an aspirin, right? Take yeah, a, aspirin, yeah, take yeah. A, yeah, whatever, yeah, take a painkiller. And my headache's cured. And that's what cured means in symptom aware. My symptom went away. Right. But we know that that can be a bit of a problem because I might take your headache away with a painkiller, but you might have a brain tumor. And now what am I doing? I'm actually causing you more harm by taking away your symptom. Hmm. So what we want to be aware of when, when we're mentors is, is our clients usually come in because of symptom aware because they're symptom aware and they want to get rid of that symptom. And their tendency is going to be to try to always go towards getting rid of the symptom. Now we can help them out with that a little bit, but we also want to get an, a, a deeper understanding, which is where you would say, yeah, we don't want to go with the initial presentation. I agree with you. We, we, I'm not saying we don't go with initial presentation because if we can give them, uh, if we can hear them deeply and move a little bit in that direction, it will unfold into the other stuff if you know where you're headed. And so uh, what we want to really get clear on is what are, the, what are the triggers that led to these symptoms, for example? And so if we go, okay, well, because they're not asking themselves that, let's just go with the headache, for example. I have a headache, you know, I, I want an aspirin. Do you have an aspirin? Well, I could give you an aspirin, but let's just ask a couple of questions first. What happened just before you got the headache? Well, I get these headaches quite often, really. Let's, let's explore that. What, what happens just before you get those headaches? Hmm. You know, and they, they aren't asking that question generally. In, in symptom aware, they're not asking that question. In symptom aware, they're asking the question, how do I get rid of this? And you can hear that with your coaching clients. How often do you hear that with your coaching clients? I want to get rid of this, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, spot on, you know, that's why a lot of people come into coaching. Although I think it, it's changing now. People, yeah, like you said, people are are more and more aware, aren't they, that yeah. it's not about getting rid of the symptoms. There's something deeper going on and they would like support with that. Right. So, right. Yeah. And that's what we're going to move into internal process aware soon. So, uh, so what we do is we go, well, what are the triggers? And they might go, oh, gosh, I get them every Monday. I never even thought about that before. I get them every Monday just before I go to work. Okay. So now we're starting to get somewhere, right? Okay. Now we're starting to get to the trigger. Oh, the trigger. What's going on at work? What's going on there, right? So we can move from in, uh, symptom aware to trigger aware, where people are aware of triggers. Now, how often do people come in because they're triggered by something? Hmm. So we got a lot of people coming in a trigger aware. So we can work with trigger aware too and explore the triggers and different things like that. But then we wanna go, well, what, what uh, we wanna go from trigger aware to internal process aware. And internal process aware, when we get to internal process aware, we are aware that, let's just back up for a minute. Okay, so we have unaware, which I'm not even aware of my symptoms. 
you know, I'm, I'm just going through life. I don't even realize that I'm suffering as much as I am suffering. Okay. And then I have in uh, my, I have uh, trigger, I have uh, a symptom aware and I'm aware of the symptoms. I want to get rid of the symptoms. That's my cognition. I want to get rid of the symptoms that would be healing to me in trigger aware. I want to get rid of the triggers. So how often do we say, okay, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to eliminate you from my life. I'm going to eliminate this from my life. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get rid of my triggers. And that's healing. As soon as I get rid of all my triggers, I'm good, right? Except that we haven't done the deeper work, which I know you know about. So what we do is we go, what is the internal process that's making this a trigger? So for example, these are just events. As much as you feel like that person is triggering you, it's just an event in life. How come, what do you do inside your mind that takes an event, real life reality, and turns it into a trigger? What are you doing in your heart and soul and mind and your whole consciousness? It's turning uh, just an everyday event into a trigger. And when we get to internal process aware, we're actually getting to a point where we're starting to go, oh, I'm going to accept reality a little more as it is instead of I'm trying to fight reality. I'm going to see reality for what it is. And I'm going to see how I butt myself up against reality and make myself miserable by the way that I don't just accept reality for what it is. And so I'm, I'm looking at my internal processes and I have cognitive processes. I have emotional processes. I have behavioral processes. I have relationship-based processes. I have symbolic processes. I have somatic and sensorial processes. And I'm part of these systemic processes. And so this is where we get to the depth of that internal process aware. And we have all these healing modalities that can start happening here in internal process aware. And internal process aware can 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 really take a given event and um, um, and bring us to peace with it so that we're not having symptoms and we're not having triggers and it's not in our unconscious anymore. It's consciously aware and we can heal. Because what's at the core of that stage? Is it is it about through these different modalities making what was unconscious conscious and, and um, you know, in a sense allowing what was not seen to be seen and felt and loved so that it begins to, to integrate in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, like how would you, how would you work with someone at that, that stage, that internal process aware stage? Okay. So let's, let's take one step before that and go, this is the evolution of shadow resolution, which is the process of making the unconscious conscious. But you ask another question, how do you heal? And the point is you can heal somebody by going from the unconscious to conscious, but you can also heal people without them becoming conscious. I do that all the time. And so just separate out those two processes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Shamans quite often actually heal people without bringing everything to the conscious. Yeah. That's that's important because I think we hold that these days in, that we have to, everything has to be explicit for it to right. be learning or to be growth. But actually, no, it doesn't have to be even, people don't even have to be aware of it. No, they don't. In fact, if you do really good shamanic work, sometimes it's almost better that they're not aware of it. 
Um, uh, I wouldn't say that's common or uncommon. I'm not saying that's the majority by any means, but there are situations where people who are like, uh, this is where we get into development. Okay, first person perspective, second person perspective, third person perspective, fourth person perspective and on up. If you're in fourth person perspective and on up, which is where a lot of our clients come in voluntarily uh, because they wanna work deeper on themselves and their more deep authentic self, this evolution of shadow resolution is really a great way to go. But if you're getting people that are earlier and a lot of coaches do have people coming in at third person perspective, they're your business clients and different things like that. They're not necessarily ready for that kind of depth work. Now it would produce, if, if you can get them to do that depth work and, and buy into wanting to be deeply authentic, that's going to move them into fourth person perspective, which is going to be crucial for healing the whole world, by the way. Um, it's going to be hard to heal it at 3.5 uh, third person perspective, but at fourth person perspective, people start taking a global perspective on things and that's where we can actually heal the world. But let's say you have somebody coming in like anywhere from first person perspective to third person perspective, uncovering their shadow is not necessarily going to be beneficial for them. It could actually be detrimental because they're not, first of all, they're not ready. They don't have the coping skills or the desire for it. And, um, and if, if you use these other processes for healing, because I've worked with, you know, I've worked for 30 years, you know, with, with families and from infants up to, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth and sixth birth and perspective. Um, so it's, 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 if you understand the developmental level of the person, you can understand that often in second and third person perspective, going for shadow resolution is not necessarily the best thing to do, but you can still help them heal on a very deep level by understanding the whole uh, dynamic internally ourselves as healers and understanding the shifts that we need to help them make in their life so that they can live a more fulfilled, happy, healthy life uh, without them even being aware of, of why that necessarily happened or how that happened. Mm. It's not uncommon for my first, second, and third person perspective people to go, I don't know what you did, but my life's a lot better. Hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And so uh, that's why I just wanted to back up and get that one little piece there, because a lot of times we're working with people that are actually in third person perspective. And this is where we do that projection, that really innocent projection that we do as mentors. We might think, oh, we need to go for depth which is we need the person to be in fourth person perspective for that to be even truly meaningful for them. Mm, right, right. And yeah. um, and it's, so if we're getting a third or a second person perspective in and, and we're trying to do depth, we're gonna be, there's gonna be, it's gonna be a lack of flow. There's gonna be less flow and they might follow you out of compliance, but there's still gonna be this dissonance in their overall life and, and often in the session too. And so what we want to do is match our modality and, and structure it to the developmental level of our client. Hmm. That makes sense to me. And I, I know that with my own clients where y you can feel where you're, you're trying, you've got a, an agenda basically, and you're trying to take your client further than they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And um, actually you can just feel there's a, there's a tension in there. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you get good at, at identifying the person perspective, you can get really good at just adjusting up and down the developmental spectrum 
quickly and easily and in the process of the flow of the conversation so that that doesn't happen. It's like, oh, I feel that. That's, I see that. I'm pushing fourth person perspective there at third person perspective. I'm going to drop to third person perspective and work there. And I just want to refer people back to our first conversation here because they might be thinking, you know, these person perspectives, like what, what is this? And we, we unpack them in the first conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But I guess the question I then have is, um, yeah, what, what is the key? What is the key at that fourth stage of internal process aware? Like what, what is the, the move that's being made that allows for healing to take place? And I know there's another stage after that, which I think is really important. So, yeah. So the, the move that's, that's important is just the awareness that I am manufacturing my own suffering. Gotcha. Right. That's the important piece. Once you get that, you're an internal process aware. If, if you're still blaming other people, you're in trigger aware. If you're still obsessing about the symptoms that you're feeling, you're in symptom aware. Yes. Okay. But right. when I start realizing I am manufacturing my own misery, my own suffering, then we're in internal process aware. Right. And, and generally we're in fourth person perspective or later when that happens. Yes. So if your person goes to internal process aware, you can be pretty sure that they're at least at fourth person perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're finding that they're having a hard time going there, it's a pr pretty good guess that either they're in third person perspective or earlier, or they're in some kind of a shadow crash, a shadow frustration that that's overwhelming their coping skills. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I imagine that there's a certain amount of healing that can take place there. You know, when you, when you start to recognize that, yeah, this is, I'm creating this, yeah. it's not the external trigger. Ah, okay. That opens up a new sense of possibility and some healing might even already occur right at there. that point. Right. Um, which I think it does, you know, automatically it clears up a bunch of stuff, doesn't it? You know, suddenly yeah. you're in a new playing space. Yeah. And something can be resolved, and I'm and then I'm curious about this place after where because I I heard you speak about this idea between like a tree and like cutting the branches mm -hmm. or the leaves and then getting to the root. Right. I'm curious right. about this. Maybe it's so my depth last bias again. Conscious conceptualization yeah. is um, is where we get to the core seed of the issue. So let's say. Let's say that I'm triggered by my boss and I, I, you know, first of all, I'm just getting the headache. Okay. Let's just follow it through. I'm not aware of anything, but ever, then I start becoming symptom aware and I realize that I get a headache every Monday. And then after that, I start becoming aware. Oh, it's because I have to go deal with my boss. My boss is my trigger and I just need a different boss. I need to quit my job. I need to go somewhere else. You've never heard any of this in, with any of your clients, have you? <laughs> So that's all the trigger aware. We're all very aware of that. Okay. So then, then when we go to internal processes aware, it's like, oh, I'm manufacturing this trigger with my boss because of whatever, because of, you know, um, I had, you know, I, I'm, I don't like authority. I don't like, he, he's a, he's a strong authoritarian and I don't like strong authoritarians or he's not authoritarian enough. He doesn't tell me what to do. And so I don't know what to do. And it's so frustrating because I just want to do something and he, he doesn't tell me what to do. Different people have different 
triggers, right? Different, different ways that they are um, frustrated by a thing. And so then we go in and we start going, okay, I have, you know, uh, what I can do is I can learn to uh, have a more flexible mind. So this is where we talk about calcification of our mind. Our mind gets calcified and says, I need the world to be a certain way for me to be okay. That's called being human, isn't it? What? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, I say that it is a joke, but it's actually like, there's a profound truth to it, isn't it? That's my experience of (laughs) (laughs) being human and growing and how that lessens, but the humility of, you know, sometimes my wife has this joke where she calls me particular, you know, which is like, that's the calcification of my mind. Yeah. Well, I end up hers if she's right. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 And so the calcification of the mind is what's saying it has to be a certain way. And so what we want to do is soften that, you know, we want to, you know, just like a massage therapist might work out a knot in our back. We want to massage that calcification. So it softens up. And, and what happens then is, Oh, I can be around authoritarians or non-authoritarians and it doesn't bother me anymore. I'm not triggered by it. I'm free. Mm. And so that's, that's the power of internal process aware. But what we haven't done yet is go, well, where did I get that in the first place? Where did I get that calcification in the first place? Because if I go to the core seed of the shadow tree, to follow our analogy, I might find that that same type of calcification occurs in different aspects of my life, not even around authority. It might be around authoritarian. It might be in just a normal conversation when somebody gets a little boasty right? And now I still have that calcification. Can't handle being around people that are a little boasty, or I can't handle being around people that are really meek, maybe. Now, I dealt with the, the, the branch of the, the authoritarian leader or the, or, the, or the passive leader, but I didn't deal with it in my everyday conversation. See, that's a little bit further down the tree, right? And when we go to the core seed, we get to the core seed that's creating all these different calcifications in different aspects of our life. And when we get to that core seed and, and uproot that, all those calcifications soften up. And now our mind is much more flexible, much more pliable, much more adaptable. What, what is the process of getting to that seed? And, you know, um, what, what would be the word there? Is it like um, deconstructing? I think might be a word I've heard you use, but... What, what, how, how do we do that, basically? How, if you're with a client, and this example of you know, authoritarian and meek, how, yeah, how would you be with them? What moves might you make? Yeah, so these are depth moves. And this is why many of us bias towards depth, because when we really want to get to that kind of thing, we need to go to depth to do it. You can't do that through height or through breadth. You have to do it through depth. And so we follow that depth thread you know, your frustration line, right? Remember our first conversation where he said it's frustrated, but they're going for a breath move, but we went for the frustration. Mm. We follow that frustration line. And then we follow it to the calcification. And then that's internal process aware. And we might loosen that one up, but, but then we go deeper and we go, what are the first iterations of that? Where did we first come up with that? We're talking about deep psychotherapeutic work at this point. But I know a lot of coaches are doing psychotherapy. They, they, 
don't admit it, but they're doing it. <laughs> this is a whole. This is a whole other question. Yeah, so right? we need to do. A, we need yeah. to do a panel on this because it's really hot right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. well, and it's such a ridiculous, uh, uh, artificial line because coaches always did psychotherapy. They just, right. you know, they they. The history is is very interesting, but the idea was, well, we're not trained psychotherapists, so we don't do psychotherapy. But the fact is, if you take a look at those seven modalities, coaches are using those all the time, and they're all psychotherapeutic modalities. So, yeah, and that, that's some, um, you know, Dave Snowden, who you may or may not know, who um, loves to, mm, very brilliant guy, and loves to criticize things a lot. Uh-huh. One of his criticisms of coaching is that it inherited a lot of moves from therapy and then packaged it up in leadership coaching. Yeah. And he has a real issue with that. I think I actually don't have an issue with that because I'm like, that's, um, you, you know, you're transforming. The person is being transformed, you know, yeah. uh, and then they, they, their leadership transforms. Anyway, I think he has some really brilliant points to make as well, but. Um, I think so but, too. Yeah. Now it's really important yeah. that, uh, you know, just to tap into that for just a moment. Um, I don't have a problem with it either. Even though I'm trained in in psychotherapy, I don't have a problem with coaches or spiritual mentors doing this. I've done a lot of training of all of these people in the same batch of people, right? Spiritual mentors, coaches, psychotherapists, teachers, and I've had you know teachers. I've had I've had people from all these walks, people that weren't even trained, you know, within a in, within a few months, outperforming the PhD psychotherapists. And, and so I don't think that having a PhD in psychotherapy makes you necessarily better. But the other warning is 95% of us believe we're above average. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that, and that's so, the, yeah. So yeah. we're not good at assessing whether we are good or not because our narcissism will always consider that we're really good. So I think it's really important for anybody, PhD, coach, spiritual mentor, to have time where they do video sessions with their clients and have other people review it, especially very well-trained people review it so that they can show where, where these, where these fault lines are. But um, I, for one, am, uh, have taken the position that if, since coaches are actually doing psychotherapy, um, just not calling it that, I want them to be trained as good as possible in being able to do it and notice where their limitations are and where to stop it. Same with psychotherapists. You know, I think I told you about this, the PhD psychotherapist that had the treatment failure. Uh, No, I can't. I I had a, so what happens in in psychotherapy is sometimes a person will leave one therapist and go to another one. And sometimes they're just share therapy shopping, but sometimes it's because there just wasn't a good match. So whenever you get somebody, you know, you ask, have you ever had psychotherapy before? They say, yeah. So this person said, yeah, I had it with so-and-so. And I'll keep that private just out of respect for them. So uh, they said, uh, I saw so-and-so and I go, oh, and they said, it just it didn't work very well for me. And so I asked permission, you know, I got signed permission to talk to that psychotherapist to see what happened. Psychotherapist was a PhD psychotherapist. And I talked to them and, and asked them about this client. And they said, oh, that client. Oh, yeah, she's a treatment failure. And I go, what? She's a treatment failure. What do you mean by a treatment failure? Well, I put her through the protocol and it didn't work. Well, <laughs> that's 
that to me is not good psychotherapy, you know, despite being a PhD psychotherapist. But the point is she ran uh, the client through a cognitive restructuring protocol. It didn't work. And that's all she knew. She was very well trained in cognitive restructuring, very well trained. If you needed cognitive restructuring, she'd probably be a good person to go to. The problem is there's seven modalities. Cognitive restructuring is one of them. And this person wasn't responding to cognitive restructuring. So I go, okay, cognitive restructuring didn't work. So I tried one or two of the other modalities and boom, the person healed just fine, quickly, easily. It was, it was no problem at all. So this is the problem is, is even PhD psychotherapists have calcifications and biases, just like coaches do, just like spiritual mentors do. And so um, so what we do is we put them together and we do the video and then we, we show where the calcifications are as the mentor, as the person doing that so that their, their mind's more flexible. And so getting back to my point, I wanna train spiritual mentors and, 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 and coaches in these skills as much as possible since they're doing them anyway it's important to understand how to use them skillfully and understand what they do and what they don't do. Mm. Yeah, I can feel now, uh, you know, a sophisticated map arising of these three types of shadows we talked about mm-hmm. in trajectories, projections and split ego states, these seven, um, you know, different modalities, mm-hmm. then, um, and then this kind of like con- conscious conceptualization, I think that's the name of this fifth yeah. stage where you're kind of going to the root Right. And so, you know, then you can attune to what might be the most, you're, 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 recept, you're, you're attuned to what might be the most appropriate move to make there. But mm-hmm. I'm just, just checking here. It was like, you know, it, we talked about IFS last time. I know that's one, that's one modality, but that might be something here, you know, that, that might be doing this type of work. Yeah. Like that you're, you're, you're like recognizing these parts that have been around since childhood that arose in response to needing safety and belonging and connection and developed a strategy. And so by, by being with these parts and in a, in a non-judgmental way, recognizing their, the intelligence of them, they can be seen and begin to relax and integrate. Is that, is that, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here? Is this, would you place that in this rooting out of this, 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 or would you place that earlier in these five stages? See, the thing is you can use any of these tools virtually along the five stages. It's how you're using the tool, right? So right. like if I were you, like I could use internal family systems or any system, cognitive restructuring, you know, affective release, whatever. I could do all of these different uh, modalities at, at virtually any one of the stages. Um, um, and, and a lot of times people get really stuck spinning at symptom aware and they don't move on because they think they're doing internal process aware because there's some similarities because I'm feeling the symptom. I'm feeling the frustration, right? We go into the frustration and now actually I could be just reinforcing symptom awareness rather than internal process aware, which is a completely different thing. We've mistaken the symptom for the yeah, for them right. for being in the, the internal, internal process. process. Right. Right. And that's why I outline this up because so many people, this is where I can't, I can't tell you how many psychotherapist coaches get stuck at, at uh, symptom aware, thinking that they're doing something like internal process aware, but they're actually just spinning their wheels in internal, in, in symptom aware, um, thinking that they're getting 
to something deeper because I'm going deeper into the emotion. I'm going deeper into the pain. I'm going deeper into the suffering, but we're actually, we can actually cause damage doing that because what we're doing is we're reinforcing the neural pathways. And I get people all the time that have been to like psychotherapy for like 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, and, and what happens is the, the, they got them from unaware to symptom aware, but then they went deep into symptom aware. And what happens is you actually, you actually cause damage because what you're doing is you are reinforcing the neural pathways of the painful symptom. How would you, um, I mean, you've explained that you've explained it in a way, but how would you be aware that you're not doing that? Basically, what question would you ask? Would it, would it be like, what's the internal process behind this symptom? Sure. That simple. How do you, yeah. And that's where it gets a little hard because it's hard sometimes for people to hop from internal, from, from from symptom aware to internal process aware, often they need to go through trigger aware. Right. Okay. Right. So when I'm going into the symptom, I can actually just be, you know, reinforcing the neural pathway of the symptom. What I really want to know is, do you understand why you have this symptom? Do you know when or how or where this is created? And then they might go, no, I have no clue. And then, then, you know, that you're in, you know, symptom aware. Right. Um, yeah, I know it's every time I'm around my parents, God, I just get the, you know, I just feel all this stuff. Okay. Now we're in trigger aware. Right. But no, I understand that I have these, this symptom, this heartache, because when I'm around my parents, I remember the ways that they treated me and I'm stuck in this loop of remembering how they were, even though today they're actually more caring. Now I'm in internal process aware. See, I'm taking responsibility for it. I'm remembering how I was hurt in the past. Uh, I'm templating it onto the now. And um, so now I'm in internal process aware. So you're noticing the difference between just going into the pain and going into understanding how that pain is manufactured by my mind. So, um, you know, again, I'm like putting everything through the lens of IFS. So forgive me for that. It's like, um, it's my tool. It's my tool that I'm using to hammer every nail at the moment. But would would that be the same as somebody um, being identified with a part? And then, um, you know, uh, maybe I'm trying to fit things together and it doesn't quite work. But at this point, they're they're identified with a part and and they're they're just like emoting that part, you know, and like... uh, they're not actually recognizing that they're identified with a part that would that be the same as being at the symptom where perhaps? Yes. Yes. If you're understanding, yeah, I'm identified with a part. This part has an issue with my parents and I need to work on that. You're in internal process aware. Yeah, that, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely internal process aware. If, the, if they're getting that now, here's the problem. Is it interject a projection or a split ego state? In some modalities, some system modalities, bias towards everything is split ego states, which need to be talked to and interacted with and healed to come together. But what happens if you heal? What if what happens when you integrate uh, an interject? You actually take something that's not you 
and you actually incorporate it deeper into you because I'm doing this integration work, you know, gestalt therapy, a lot of the internal family systems is about getting all of these parts to work together, right? But what happens if one of those parts is actually not a genuine you, it's an introject. Right. That's right. going to contaminate the whole system. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually just going to incorporate that in contamination into the whole system. So what I need to do is identify the parts and notice are they interjects, projections, or split ego states. And then I need to do the appropriate work with each part. Now, many of those parts do need integration, but some of them need to be expelled. Yeah. Yeah. For example. Interesting. And that's where you get to the core seed. If you get down to the core seed, that's when you start identifying whether it's it's truly an interjective projection or a split ego state and what exactly to do with it. And that's where we get to conscious conceptualization. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful because that's, that's what, that was a question I still was sat with, which was like, yeah. what what is it that makes that stage successful? That conce uh, conscious conceptualization yeah. is. It, you actually get to the core seed. And when you get to the core seed, you know whether the core seed producing the shadow tree, is it an introject, a projection, or a split ego state? Now I know what to do with it. Right, right. So do I release it? Do I integrate it? Or do I... Um, reown it. Uh, own it, reown it. Okay, cool. Um, and then um, you, you mentioned treasure. And I'm just curious, um, what happens then, basically? You know, do you, do you have, oh yeah. And I'm aware of the time as well. Um, <laughs> I just, five past. just now. <laughs> do you, do you have another few minutes or do we can just end? Yeah. We can just say, I, I can we give got you to a good end. minutes. Yeah. We can answer this next one. Yeah. The Let's, treasure. That's what it's all about is getting the treasure. Right. So yeah. we, if, so the deeper we go, the further along the evolution of shadow resolution, the more deeply we can find the treasure. Yeah. We can get treasures along the way. But the real core treasure, that beautiful treasure, that comes a conscious conceptualization. And so let's just say what happens if we get to conscious conceptualization, we discover it's an interject. Well, what we do is we release the interject, and now there's a space left over where that interject was. And we get to go into that space, and what we discover is a new treasure inside of us that was covered up by the interject. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. It's a grab bag surprise, but it's going to be a treasure. It's going to be something beautiful. And, and so we get to discover that every time we do that. And, and then we enhance and support that treasure to come forth in our life. If it's a split ego state, then, then this conflict between the two ego states come together and they're in harmony now. And now the treasure is this harmonious relationship between these two parts, which is going to evolve in some way. And we're going to notice and consciously support that evolution of that relationship. And that's going to be a, a whole grab bag of new surprises and, and treasures as they evolve together. Right. And then if it's a projection, this is the hardest one. People really have a hard time with taking back their projections because maybe I hate Trump. That's a hard one to take back. <laughs> What exactly. am I hating? I'm hating the Trump in me. I'm hating, uh, you know, how I give my power away to Trump-like people. I hate, you know, but that's a that's a much more difficult exploration is to notice the people that we get bothered by out there and saying, oh, there's something inside here. I need to take that back and own that, right? Right. <clears throat> but when we do, it doesn't mean that we end up being Trump. It means that we can see what's going on inside of ourselves 
that's leading us to be triggered by Trump. And, and, uh, and that Trump part of us, the part that um, has Trump-like qualities or gives their power away to Trump-like qualities, um, we take that, every time we re-own something that we project out, we gain power, okay? Now that power is not necessarily healthy yet at this point, but it's power which means if we have more power, we can actually do more. Now what we wanna do is once we reown the projection, we need to understand, we need to do either, uh, every projection is either a split ego state or an interject. So once we take back that projection, we're taking back our power, but the format that that power is in is, is a calcification. And it's either in the calcification of a split ego state or a, or a interject. And once we do the, then we have to do conscious conceptualization with that. Again, we have to go through that conscious conceptualization loop again. We went into it to get the projection, but now we have to go through it again to discover whether it's an interjection or a split ego state. And then we do that healing. And now that calcification is gone and it's just pure power and, and healthy power. And now that healthy power can be used to enhance and support the different treasures in our life. Yeah. Yeah. Exquisite. Exquisite. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, cool? so I'm glad I asked and we had a couple more minutes because, uh, you know, I think that's like, yeah, um, thumbs it up. um, and I just want to appreciate you again, Kim, for the 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 precision that you brought to this work. You know, mm. uh, the distinctions and the precision, which yeah. I think are really incredibly empowering. So, again, I think people, where can we find out more about these courses you're talking about? I'm certainly very interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, KimBarda.org. Um, I have a shadow series. It's just starting now. It's going to be a year long deep dive. Um, yeah. Uh, it's actually going to start in August, but the preliminary, the, it's, a, it's a trilogy of courses, Illuminating Shadow, where you get to discover your shadow dynamics, uh, healing shadow patterns, and then, um, and then a deep dive of um, a community, communing with shadow, where we work together and create this community, this healing community together for a whole year and resolve our shadow dynamics and, and learn how to help each other with their shadow dynamics in a in a healthy way. And is that the place where people would learn how, you know, therapists and coaches would learn the skills we talked about today? No, you need to go through that and then I'll do the training, but I want you to work on your shadow before I give, this is what happens. Everybody wants the skills, but they don't want to do their shadow work, right? (laughs) And then all I'm doing is their shadow then just has more skills to, to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. That's the problem. I can give all these tools to people, but if, if your shadow is operating, it will just grab a tool and it will harm people without even you being aware of it. So nice. I want people to go through a shadow, you know, do a deep dive shadow thing, and then I'm going to train people in, in these different modalities. Great. Kim, thank you. Thank you, Joel. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.